0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast. I'm Hidzir. I'm I, uh, And we have some big news for you. Uh, <laughs> this month, um, all our Genre Equality Podcasts, uh, meaning uh, Behold and Genre Equality, uh, we'll also be featured on Singapore Community Radio, uh, run by our friends uh, Darren Tan. Uh, I think Daniel Peters is there as well right now, yep. doing his own podcast and kind of managing content as well. Yep. Uh, we're very excited to be on that platform. But as, as for always, you can also find us on our Mixcloud and our Facebook Facebook backslash John Equality podcast and Mixcloud backslash John Equality. Uh, are, are you looking forward to being on SGCR uh, from now on?
1: Uh, I'm excited. I don't really know what's in store. I think we carry on business as usual, but you just want to say mm-hmm. uh, hello to all the new people who happen to be catching us on uh, Singapore Community Radio.
0: Yeah, uh, apparently we'll be premiering on uh, their Twitch channel. So if you want to catch it on Twitch, you can. Uh, If you want to catch our archives, you know, if you can't make it live, for example. As always, you know, tune in to our Mix Cloud. It'll always be there. Our topics and timestamps are in the comments. Mm-hmm. If you just want to juggle around and uh, only listen to us talk about the stuff that you like or dislike, or you know, um, for example, you know, Mulan is a big topic. It's something that we dislike, but <laughs> hey, um, it might be an interesting listen for you guys. Um, if you aren't aware, um, introduce yourself, Isa, a bit. Like, what do you do, and and stuff like that.
1: Uh, wow. I think at the moment, right, the way the world is, genre, genre quality stuff is basically um, the main thing that I'm doing right now. Uh, but on the side, yeah, uh, I do a bit of writing, I do a bit of uh, music stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, but at yeah, at the moment, my main, my main kind of gig is uh being it's just like uh co wing cool. host thing. Nice.
0: Um. Yeah. Um. On 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 the on the side as well. I mean, I'm I'm writing a lot less these days. Uh, but I'm also a freelance journalist. Um. I used to be a music journalist. Uh, currently, I'm a film and television critic, I, um, which you can find. I think I'm writing for NME Asia right now, and mm-hmm. I'm writing for Popwire. Mm-hmm. So if you are looking for something towards a more Southeast Asian regional bent, I'll be talking about, you know, Malaysian, Thailand, yep. uh, Indonesian, Filipino, Singaporean stuff over in NME Asia. And for a more international bands, you can uh, check out my stuff on Popwire, uh, yep. where I will, I'll I do various reviews and commentaries and, and recommendations on there as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but this is the Genre Equality channel. Um, basically, we are we are a network of, of podcasts. <laughs> um, we have several podcasts under our belt. Uh, well, not several. Currently, we have two. But this is our flagship show where we talk about genre stuff. If you don't know what genre is, genre encompasses sci-fi, fantasy, and horror primarily, and, and a lot of animation as well. Uh, which kind of blurs the boundaries between what is sci-fi and what, uh, what is genre and what is not when it's animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but technically, we tend to accept anything animation as genre. So yeah, yeah you, we'll, you'll hear us talk over the next few months about a lot of uh, animation. Uh, and if you want to know when to tune in to us, we premiere the first of every month. It's a magazine-type podcast where mm-hmm. we cover everything from the past 30 days, as in You know like uh this will be premiering on october 1st so we'll be talking about all the titles that premiered in september uh tv shows films podcasts um what else comics graphic novels books uh anything of that sort that is uh, related to sci-fi fantasy and horror you got it here man and uh there's a lot of stuff to talk about this september um not as much as we usually talk about but there's still plenty uh two big movies coming out uh yep. this year this month um in bill and ted face the music is the third installment of the bill and ted franchise Ken reese and alex winters are back we'll be talking about disney's live action adaptation of mulan we'll be talking about ridley scott's uh, new operatic sci-fi series raised by wolves um and, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, you know, um, We'll be talking about Great Pretender, which is a, a new anime series on Netflix, Netflix I believe. Yep. And I, yep. I know Darren, Darren is a big fan of this. Um, he actually pimped it on his own podcast on HGCR, so we'll be, we'll be talking about it again. <laughs> uh, and I'll be like, you know, um, I, I'm all excited. Haikyuu is back on October 4th, yeah. uh, which is in a few days' time. I have not been watching Haikyuu throughout its run. I recently caught up um uh, maybe four or five months ago uh and i'm all about it i'm excited for season four to to come about so we'll be talking about haiku towards the end of the show uh but first i mean let's begin with uh bill and ted face the music it has been um 31 years you know from <laughs> their excellent adventure and and 29 years since their bogus journey which was the sequel um, the air guitaring best friends of San Dimas finally returned in uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, when we met Bill and Ted the last time, uh, they were time-traveling teenagers trying to pass history class and with <laughs> the battle of the bands. Um, once prophesied to save the universe with their rock and roll, uh, middle age and responsibilities and, and family have caught up with these two who have not yet fulfilled their destiny somehow. Um, they've written thousands of tunes and They have yet to write a good one, much less the greatest song ever written, which will bring about world peace. So the fabric of time and space is tearing around them. Um, A visitor from the future, the daughter of Rufus, uh, played by uh, Kristin Shaw, warns our heroes that only their song can save life as we know it. Uh, Out of luck and out of uh, inspiration, Bill and Ted set out for one last time travel adventure to seek out the song that will set the world right and bring harmony in the universe. (laughs) Um, This time, they're aided by their daughters, played by Samara Weaving and uh, Brigitte Lundy-Payne. Um, if you are a regular listener of General Equality, I, I've been talking a lot about how much I love Samara Weaving from mm-hmm. the film Ready or Not last year. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also accompanied by music legends like Louis Armstrong, Jimi Hendrix, Mozart, etc. cetera. Obviously, you know, they're not the real people. They're yeah,
2: actors.
0: Kid Cudi <laughs> um, is, is there for some reason. Uh, yeah, and and uh, so what do you think about uh, that uh, race to save time and space through music uh and and kind of the anyway of uh, middle age that they're exploring here in in that face the music
1: oh man uh so silly uh, i it's so silly but at the same time i think it's a it's a rather good way to kind of wrap up everything um I do, th- I do feel like uh it feels a tad too long to revisit this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just in terms of like the time gap in lit uh, in 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 actuality, as well as the time gap within the movie itself, uh, it felt kind of strange in portions. I think it has to do with the fact that um, uh, Keanu has done so much mm. since the the first two movies, right? Mm-hmm. That there are moments in time when you're you're looking at him on screen, right, and you kind of get lost in all the other characters that he's played. Mm -hmm. um just because of the the his face right like just that very kind of like stoic kind of stone face Mm uh and sometimes that's a bit jarring like i can't really fully immerse in the fact that i'm watching bill and ted you know it's like oh you know some portions is like john wick Mm -hmm. (laughs) on screen some portion is like neo on screen so uh there are points in time where it, it does feel a bit uh out of place right just because they essentially play the same character despite the fact that they've aged so much mm-hmm. uh, and that's a bit weird um, yeah and on the other hand like Alex Winter hasn't done as much mm. uh, or well not not done as much but he hasn't done anything as big I think over the last uh, couple of years uh and yeah that's just a strange kind of like uh meta observation i think from from the point of view of of someone who has seen uh all of Keanu's stuff right uh mm. and where he is in the current zeitgeist today as the son of this kind of hero in his own right mm-hmm. uh it does feel a bit strange but all in all um it it definitely continues the same kind of tone the same kind of vibe uh the same kind of like beats even uh, and we resisted a lot of the beats from the first two movies as well mm-hmm. uh and it 's still incredibly enjoyable and incredibly silly uh and it 's a nice way to kind of wrap up, even though I think at the end how they wrap it up was a bit of uh you could have projected it from the beginning, i think mm-hmm. um and it came as no surprise, but at the same time it 's kind of a very it 's okay you know it was like it's it 's cute right but it it didn 't really add to uh, it didn't really resolve the story in the way that I think most people would think it would resolve the story. Yeah,
0: mm, yeah. Um, I, I, I guess you're right on that. And and to your point, um, earlier on, I do feel the same way when I watched Uh Bad Boys for Life earlier this year in January. <laughs> uh, it, much in the same way that like this is the white version of their of those two careers. Uh, like you know, Will Smith has gone on to do so much since the original Bad Boys, right? Yep. Whereas Martin Lawrence, similar to Alex Winter, hasn't really done
2: yeah, all not that, that much. much.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's not like their careers are failures or anything. It's just relative to their co-star, you know, different trajectory, like different levels. Yep. Uh, and it does feel like maybe Alex Winter needed this film more than Kenny Reese, who is just doing it because, you know, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, Bill & Ted has, has never been high art. Um, the first two films were not high art. Uh, and I'm kind of glad that the third installment sticks to the dumb uh, goofy, sincerely <laughs> sweet uh, spirit of a franchise. It's silly and nonsensical. Um... In 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 ways that kind of inspired shows like Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh. But if you felt any affection of uh, Bill and Ted in the past, you feel it again here. Uh. Absolutely. Because the the movie rides on the same kind of likable charm as its predecessors. Uh. The the conclusion is is pure corn, as you say. <laughs> uh. But but by this point, you know, it fits with the tone of the franchise. Um. The apparent joy of its creation is is uh, infectious. Um. Uh, I I smiled throughout most of this film, laughed through some of it. Uh, it's a blissful bout, blissful bout of uh, nostalgia. Uh, the story it's it's weightless and it's definitely an unnecessary sequel. Uh, yeah. But all in all, it's impossible not to have fun with this one. And plus, the the killer robot from the future is played <laughs> by um, Anthony Kerrigan, who is a uh, noho Hank from Barry. Yeah. Uh, and he is a perpetual joy. So um, yeah, like uh, how how would you rate uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music?
1: Uh I'm gonna give it a six, right? Like all round enjoyable. Nothing mm-hmm. particularly life-changing, I-, I think. But just you know, for like one and a half hours of like nostalgia and, and, and fun, it's it's a good watch. Mm.
0: Same. Um I'm I'm rating it similarly, it's six point five out of ten. Mm. Uh good fun to watch, but maybe not in se- not in sensual viewing, you know. Yep. Um next up we'll be moving on to Disney's live action adaptation of Mulan. Uh, while Mulan probably was destined to be a box office juggernaut, uh, <laughs> due to the due to the pandemic, it's uh, been released on Disney Plus in many countries. Uh, for an exorbitant fee of thirty US dollars. Uh, in in some countries, however, such as Singapore, it's being released in uh, cinemas. You know, mm-hmm. um, and if you don't already know, of course, this is uh the remake of uh. The iconic 1988 animated film of the same name but truth be told the Mulan legend is 1500 years old there have been dozens of iterations of 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 the the original folk tale over the years Mm -hmm. uh, over different Chinese regimes uh, even before uh, you know western hands got the story uh there isn't really a real Mulan story it's all it's changed over the different retellings yeah so you know staying faithful is not really something they can do lah, you know uh but i i guess like you know a lot of people are upset that uh, director Nikki Caro has somewhat controversially removed the film's musical numbers in favor of a more mythical but straightforward uh wuxia style period war drama that mm. is uh that is a somewhat more more closer to the Chinese folktale than the animated version is. Yeah. Uh, and, and it does feature an impressive cast that includes uh, Jet Li, uh, Donnie Yen, Gong Li, Jason Scott Lee, Li, uh, Liu Yifei as the title character. Um, the film is marred by a lot of political controversy, uh, which I won't get into because it, it doesn't really affect the, the merit of the film, uh, other than maybe to say that um, it is not a great representation for Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh in Disney's hands. Uh that that's all I have to say about it. Like it filming, you know, near the Ukir uh concentration camps and stuff like that, obviously despicable, but uh I'm not gonna comment on that because it's it bears no relation to the quality of the film, which is what we're here to talk about, you know. Um so what do you think about Mulan, the movie?
1: Oh man. Uh I I put off watching Mul- Mulan for the longest time, right? So I only mm-hmm. caught it, it recently and Uh, It was hard to kind of divorce myself from all the reviews that were kind of coming out, right? Uh, And just like reading what people were saying and people's like thoughts about that. There's something incredibly immediate, I think, about the way um, when movies like this hit streaming services. Like Mm -hmm. the moment you're done with the movie, right? You're already on your phone. You're already on your computer, right? And you're going to blast whatever you think about it there. You know, there's no kind of like gestation period for you to kind of wait after the movie and talk about it with your friends. Yep. And so, there's just a whole flood of that. And uh, I, I tried very hard to, to you know, give the movie a chance. Um, just because I feel like a lot of people really didn't like it. Uh, mm. And a lot of people was like, yeah, it's okay. But, you know, and, and there was always a but, I think. And, and mm-hmm. for me, like, uh, after watching it, I feel kind of the same. Mm. Uh, all in all, it tries very hard. Like, it really, yeah. really does try very hard um, without really going anywhere on its merits as a movie alone, right? Political um, controversy aside, um, it is messy. Uh, yeah. And the pacing is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, the character work isn't great and neither is the script. Um, I don't think that enough research was done into into exactly how things should look and should feel and should sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in general, like, I didn't, like, this isn't something that I'm going to remember, right? Mm. Like, a week from now. Not, like, years down the road. Whereas the original one, which we will always be drawing comparisons to, right? It's a classic, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And the it feels as though this Mulan, right? This live-action Mulan um, set up everything to have messaging. But I have no idea what that message actually is.
0: Right,
1: uh, Go Power, etc. Um yeah. So that didn't really come across as as you know, uh sure, right? On the surface, if we want to kind of read it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh it doesn't do well as as a go power film, I think. It doesn't mm-hmm. do well as a wuxia film, I think. Definitely as a wuxia film, it did it kind of fell flat. Like certain scenes were definitely very, very beautiful, but the over... Um, reliance on CGI in certain mm-hmm. parts I felt kind of let it down because it just like it's very hard to have um, these amazing for example let's talk about like if we if we do Hero or Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon right the mm-hmm. majesty of the background in which all these fights take place or the story mm-hmm. takes place right um, there's something that CGI can't replicate you know and mm-hmm. for you to kind of aspire to that with CGI is kind of problematic mm-hmm. um, in many many places um, and that was a bit jarring as well, you know. And not enough, uh, not enough mon- uh, training montages. I feel like how how do you go right from from a, a village girl blessed with chi mm-hmm. to where she ends up at the end of the movie, right? Like there's just a huge question mark there uh, as to like you know because somehow innately as innately talented as you are, uh, you you know how to sword fight. Right? You're going to learn how to sword fight in, in a couple of months. You're going to learn how to you know, be a sharpshooter on the bow and arrow in a couple of months and acquire all this kind of like tactical and strategic knowledge that will allow you to take on mm. an army single-handedly. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, all that isn't explained. Right, So if the messaging at the end of the day is go power, mm. what does that actually say? Mm. right, that at the end of the day, oh, you know, it has to be something that you are, it's innate and it's talented. It speaks nothing of the the sacrifice of volunteering yourself. Um, she's a Mary Sue. Though. Yeah, she's, exactly.
0: She's, she's re-in Star Wars. <clears throat>
1: exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, and and all these things happen via magic. And I think if you truly want to have a, a movie about girl power, then like magic should play a much smaller role in it, mm. you know? Ah, uh, we take away mushu because you know fantastical element, and then you substitute it with fantastical elements of your own, right, with the inclusion mm-hmm. of the witch uh and this idea of Chi, who nobody else seems to have except the two women mm-hmm. uh in the film right so like it's it's really problematic um in in so many ways, and it's confused it's a confused film. Uh, in terms of like what his message is supposed to be, what his identity is supposed to be, you know, uh, and uh, I found myself actually being extremely annoyed by the fact that the refrain that they are using right now for, <laughs> for the major moments is—I mm-hmm. mean, like—it's such a great song. In the original movie. Now it's yeah. used as like a, a five second refrain, right? And that's supposed to like stir all these like great nostalgic feelings about oh yeah, you know, this is a remake of the original and the original was great. And therefore this is supposed to be great. Uh I think they fell really short of the mark for this.
0: Mm, yeah um i I do agree you know um the one bright spot of the film, I guess that I do have to give credit for is uh, I like the cinematography yeah um, I think it's framing uh, whoever the d p was did a really good job capturing the color and, mm. and the maj- majesty of the uh, environment uh, of, of, yep. of of china and and the architecture and things like that. Um, but yeah, it does have uh, inconsistent acting quality, very thin uh, character development. Uh, predictable nature of the narrative also box the movie down. Yep. Um, and as you mentioned, the decision to give um, Mulan or mystical oriental superpowers uh, negates the feminist themes. Yep. Um, the animated Mulan worked really hard uh, for her to earn respect. Uh, she used uh, her skill and wit and determination to change perceptions. Mm-hmm. Not she... You know, yep. she trained hard for it. She earned her. she earned the respect, you know. Yep. Uh and this Mulan doesn't uh, um yeah, um it's it's a little pain by numbers. The story's a little too safe. Um and, and all the you know uh anti-Hong Kong democracy sentiments by its cast members and the anti-Ukir uh thing that, you know, you know, where they choose to film. Uh, expressed by its cast and crew, didn't help its cause at all. Uh, you know, people already wanted to dislike it, and they're just giving you more reasons to dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess despite its uh, sumptuous design and good intentions, uh, this movie is uh, pretty much a failure. So um, I would rate this three out of ten.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a three and a half. Right. Okay. Like I find it so difficult to believe that an animation that came out in 1998 that has the exact same runtime. Uh, tells a much tighter, more rich, and better story, mm-hmm. uh, than than this multi-million-dollar waste of time.
0: Well, you can you can say the same thing about all, most of Disney's live-action uh remakes, you yeah. know Um, with the exception of maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast it was pretty okay. I don't know Jungle Book was okay, but I mean, uh, um, yeah. the, like say the Lion King and um, uh, Aladdin and stuff like that. I think were were kind of similar failures.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, uh but you know the good news for Disney is that they're not running out of animated stuff to remake and it's going to they're going to no. keep doing it until uh until they stop making money from it uh, which doesn't seem like anytime soon. They're going to keep banking on that nostalgia. Uh Mulan was a was a miss, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they're going to yeah,
1: eventually become uh, I, I mean we we often shit on like anime live adaptations right mm-hmm. uh, just because they have historically been bad right it's very hard to find a, a simple good one and the way Disney is going about re- with all their remakes we're going to fall into the same thing you know that's going to be the prevailing stigma mm-hmm. uh, with the stuff that they make into live action
0: I do have to say though that I do appreciate the attempt on some films such as mm-hmm. Aladdin and, and Mulan uh, to differentiate the live action from the animated mm-hmm. uh, film. In yeah. the case of, you know, like The Lion King and, and Beauty and the Bees, it's pretty much a shot for short retelling, just, you know, with CG instead of hand-drawn animation. Yeah. And that, that smacks of laziness. I'm not anti-remake, but if you want to remake something... At least go a different route with it. Agree. And 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 whether you fail or whether you succeed, I do appreciate the attempt in this case to to make it different from the animated film. Mm-hmm. Those who want it to be a shot for shot adaptation of the animated film, I don't understand what yeah. your point of view is yeah. because why not just rewatch the animated film?
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But even on its own merits, mm-hmm. it doesn't hold, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I mean, honestly, I would have loved it if it was a straight out like pure Wu Xia thing. Yeah, you know, uh, but I mean, you can't have that because Disney, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. they don't have that kind of. It's it's not in their desire to make a film like that, you know. So I I, I stumbled across an entire list of all the other kind of Mulan uh, adaptations uh, mm-hmm. that come highly recommended, and I'm probably going to take some time to go on, you know, watch them as well, just to see what we what it could have been, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, didn't like Mulan, but would recommend Beyond Ted. If you want to go watch Mulan, it's available right now. in Singaporean cinemas, if you're overseas, of course there's Disney Plus and VOD. Uh Beyond Ted also available on VOD. They made the wise choice to avoid cinemas altogether. Yep. As we as we see with Tenet's box box office, it's not really working out well. Mm-hmm. Um well I, I mean I don't know that Tenet's hard to judge because it could just be because people don't like the film. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um a lot of people are kind of blaming Mulan's failure on the political controversy and all of that. And, and I get that as well, uh, but I think the more simple explanation is just it's not a good movie. Yeah, it's uh, not. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, we're moving on to uh, a tiny segment that uh, I call <laughs> Quick Hits, where I talk about the various um, films and TV shows that my co host hasn't had the chance to watch uh, and give them very quick reviews. Uh, not really not really quick for yeah, this not, month, though, and, well. and especially next month, um, but yeah, I'm going to try to breeze through the, these titles as quickly as I can. Um, first off, I want to talk about um, Amazon's The Boys, um, based on Garth Ennis' uh, scathing and violence anti-superhero series. Uh, Amazon's The Boys is back for a second season uh, this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you will recall my season one review, I was mixed on it. Um, the parts that I loved, I really loved... Um, I adored its pitch-black meta-deconstruction of superhero tropes and the capitalist mega-corporations that fuel society's obsessions with capes and tights uh, as a means to make money and to distract from uh, real-world issues. Um, It showcased just how destructive abuses of power or superpower can be from the powerful, uh, ranging from, you know, starlight being uh, coerced uh, by another superhero into offering sexual favors in order to join... The Seven, which is the show's uh, Justice League analog, um, Mm -hmm. or the twisted way superheroes view the world and how easily they can destroy anything that inconveniences them. Um, At the same time, I was frustrated by how... um, by how these great themes were not only, were, were only explored on a surface level, um, the show seemed to have too much fun reveling in the gory uh, meta nihilism and didn't do much beyond the gruesome action yeah. uh, and playing with the subversion of tropes that hadn't or that has already been subverted since Alan moore's Watchmen, Mm -hmm. ben atlin's the thick you know i've kind of seen it done the um, amazon's the boys didn't really do anything too different in that respect in season one so it was a mixed review it was more of a five or six out of ten i liked it didn't love it um however season two is a huge improvement Mm. um the best thing about the second season of the boys is how smartly it adds uh, complexity and depth to the characters and stories um because correction not only goes beyond enriching the quote-unquote power corrupts and quote-unquote bad people are still people too uh, themes. Uh, though, of course, these carry on through, through the new episodes. Uh, the Boys has turned its attention to its a variety of new ideas, but none so potent as the manipulation of digital media and how cults of personality are formed and maintained. Uh, in the new season, it's not just Starlight that's the new member of the Seven anymore, mm-hmm. um, although her ethics and ideals are getting chewed up by the corporate machinery. Um, it, that's still a focus, but She's joined by a savvy new member called Stormfront, who is a a millennial influencer uh, type. Uh, She upsets her on-message corporate handlers. Uh, She calls out the shallowness of corporate feminism and corporate representation, especially when it comes to female and uh, LGBTQ representation. Uh, She calls it out loud and often. So Starlight initially thinks she's found uh, a common-sense ally, um, a real person, that she can look to for female empowerment unlike uh, the corrupt uh, Queen Maeve. Um, But as with most things on Mm the show, not as all it seems. um, Stormfront is uh, as it turns out, kind of many magnitudes worse than even Homelander is. She is a a a 4chan neo-Nazi uh, person, uh, in fact it turns out she's an actual Nazi from back in the day, um, who, whose uncorporate, unPC demeanour uh, appeals to the very worst of America's right-wing extremists um, and Stormfront's dynamic with her new teammates become one of the best storylines of the season because she's, she's every bit as powerful as Homelander and more than willing to assert herself as the team's new heavyweight um, and Homelander, you know, the sadistic narcissistic Superman, uh, just doesn't quite understand why um, social media is turning against him. Um, He's used to being universally adored, um, but he doesn't get why his $100 million PR campaign is being undermined by by memes and viral tweets. a lot of a lot of uh, echoes of what's happening in 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 the real world at, at the moment. Um, meanwhile, Billy Butcher, you know, and his superhero killing crew are now fugitives on the run after being framed for the murder of Watt's former CEO. Uh, of course, that quickly drives everyone uh, a little stir crazy and pushes them into individual arcs that give the story opportunity to flesh out the characters wonderfully. Um, there's also the rise of, you know, super terrorists, uh, which uh, which keeps the world on alert. Uh, of course, you know, Vought has been manufacturing the super-powered criminals by secretly selling Compound V, uh, a formula that gives normal people powers to, you know, jihadi groups and criminals in an mm-hmm. effort to create super-villains. Um, this is so that they can create, you know, um, antagonists for their heroes to fight in order to retain the public's attention and earn a lucrative military contract transferring jurisdiction of homeland security and overseas wars to their superheroes, and um, in, in the super terrorist subplot, uh, subplot the boys' critique of um, an anti-immigrant uh, and America first sentiment in the U.S. is abundantly apparent. Um, on the flip side. There are character proxies of everything from AOC trying to uh, take down Vought, or a, jo- a Joss Whedon-type director rewriting the latest The Seven crossover movie. Um, so even when things are funny or ultra-violence, the, the, the show makes a number of valid points about the destructive influences of mega corporations uh, or capitalist uh, machinery. Um, likewise, the, the show's snarky tone and gory action, uh, and pension for broad side gags remain a delight. Um, it's just a much smarter, sharper show with, uh, that's more engaged with his stories and characters this time. Um, even Carl even Urban's Butcher, who was so single-minded and reductive in Season 1, mm-hmm. finally gets to digging into some of the ambiguities uh, within his grizzled anti-hero, teasing out the, the, the guy's uh, darker side as, all his, as his more vulnerable side, especially when it comes to his wife, uh, who is basically, you know, Homelander's hostage at this point. Um, if Season one was mostly empty spectacle, a bunch of uh, super-powered assholes, unleashing hit vision blasts and concrete shattering punches. Now, I think we've got a reason to care with much deeper characters and much more timely themes to balance out the bleak nihilism uh, that previously drove things along. Uh, which is why I'm rating this season an 8.5 out of 10. Very highly rated. Uh, loved this one.
1: Wow. Okay
0: uh finale has not aired though it's only been the first six episodes so uh-huh. i've not covered i've not watched the last two episodes last so this is a, a review in lieu of watching the last two but i've loved what i've seen so far uh you can find it on amazon prime uh, also on Amazon Prime, it is Raised by Wolves. Um, mm-hmm. This is uh, atheist robots versus religious zealots in Ridley Scott's first-ever TV series, uh, Raised by Wolves. It's an ambitious, almost biblical parable centering around two androids named Father and Mother, tasked with raising human children on a mysterious new planet after Earth was destroyed by a great war. Um, as the burgeoning colony of humans threatens to be torn apart by religious differences again, The androids learn that controlling the beliefs of humans is a treacherous and difficult task. Uh, You see, mother and father are trying to cultivate an atheistic society, uh, but the threat of of humanity and its theology always looms nearby. Um, The the religion in the show, in this mythology, is called the Mifraic. Uh, They are the perceived enemy, and they are this neo-Puritanical, warmongering, religious crusaders they even dress like you know Christian crusaders uh, back in the crusades Um, Mm -hmm. they seem like the obvious villains but Raised by Wolves does a good job in subverting expectations leaving the viewer to question which side of this struggle is worth rooting for the well-intentioned yet thoroughly lethal robot parents or the misguided human zealots looking for a new planet to call home Um, Firstly, the good stuff. Um, Ridley Scott is fantastic at sci-fi world building. The world he creates here is splendid. The first episode is uh, insane and one of the most spectacular pilots I've ever seen. Uh, Truly one of the the greatest first episodes um, ever created. And um, Amanda Collins, who plays Mother, steals the show. Um, Colin approaches her... Role in a unique way that kind of is kind of a mix of uh, Alicia Vikander in Ex Machina and, oh. and Rutger Rad, and Hauer in Blade Runner. Um, Mother is an android with uh, warrior like skills and abilities that make her a powerful weapon. Uh, she alone can rival the entire Mithraic faction, and yet she shows a lot of vulnerability as she protects not only her son Campion but several other children as well. A mother is a fearsome figure, and and Colin plays her with tightrope terror. She is both a god and an anxious mother. Um, However, the character work here, on onto the bad points, the character work here is is pretty shoddy, uniformly Mm -hmm. elsewhere. Um, Outside a mother and father, it's pretty bad. The human characters are inconsistently defined and weakly developed. as much as I appreciate the show's willingness to not overly explain the religion or the dystopian world that led humanity to, uh, to flee Earth, it's astonishing how dull the humans are. Um, mm-hmm. the, the characters are too derivative to be compelling, and that's extraordinary. Uh, it's very frustrating because everything yeah. else is quite good. Um, the conflict between rationality and religion is sometimes presented in overly simplistic terms. You know, this is, this is no Dune, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, overall though, uh, Raised by Wolves is a sci-fi television of a rare breed. Um, while premium cable and streaming services have continually raised the bar in terms, uh, in terms of genre shows for years, I think Raised by Wolves leaps a hit in craft and skill and vision, its novelistic storytelling and sloven pacing, ask a lot out of his audience but those willing to engage and those who prefer big ideas over fleshed out characters um, would love Raised by Wolves and will think it uh, as a stunning work of operatic science fiction. Uh, Watching Raised by Wolves, you feel a certain gratitude that someone can still make sci-fi projects like this um, even if uh, not all of it works or even if most of it doesn't work. I still have to commend ambition here. Mm -hmm. Uh, but overall, it's a five out of ten.
1: Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, that's disappointing.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you know, like, I, I like big swings. I like shows that take big swings and yeah. shows that are ambition. I, I prize ambition that doesn't work over safe consistency, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I think Raised by Wolves deserves some praise, even though it overall maybe doesn't work. Lah.
1: Okay, okay. That's fair. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, and I'm going on an Amazon Prime role here, man, because the <laughs> next show is also on Amazon Prime. It is called Utopia. It is by best-selling author Gillian Flynn. Uh, Gillian Flynn, you may know as the author of Gongol and Sharp Objects. Um, she serves as the writer and showrunner for this new drama uh, called Utopia about a group of hardcore fans of a graphic novel called Dystopia. So, okay, the show is called Utopia. <laughs> the, the graphic novel in the show is called Dystopia. Uh, the inter- in- intricate drawings of Dystopia uh, are believed to predict a series of world-ending crises. Aye. It's almost like a, a, a prophetic uh, comic book. Uh, when the original pages of a long-awaited sequel called Utopia... Uh, surface and are put up for auction at a comic book convention. The desire to, turn, uh, to obtain this, uh, d- these pages becomes deadly uh, and the mystery of the book's uh, meaning deepens. Uh, the series premise is actually quite cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about comic book fans and geeks like us uh, who find a comic book that is prophetic uh, with world-ending uh, implications. Uh, but it's actually adapted from a fantastic British series that uh, aired in 2013 and 2014. Uh, so this is a remake of a British show. Uh, Its cast is outstanding. There's John Cusack, there's Rain Wilson from The Office, there's Jessica Roth and a lot of other great talent. Um, Sad to say though, I think Gillian Flynn's long run of successful thrillers comes to an end uh, oh. with this very irritatingly drawn-out, disappointingly oblique show. Mm-hmm. Um, despite being about the end of the world, the show feels strangely stagnant in the first five episodes that I watched. Um, yep. and, and I kind of tapped out with the five. Uh, the series incorporates a slew of thematic elements that are eerily timely. You know, For example, there is a devastating pandemic for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, But an over-reliance on brutal violence uh, masks the fact that Utopia doesn't have much to say about corporate overreach or governmental listlessness, uh, these themes that inspired the show's concept. Um, the series is awash with details that sync up with our current moment. It's so timely, you know. Mm. Characters are worrying about disease-carrying bats, spreading a pandemic. <laughs> how how timely is that? And, and complain about uh, the CDC and, and the Food and Drugs Administration working too slowly on a vaccine. They turn to corporations who unironically boast of quote-unquote disruption to save them instead of big government. Uh, they are horrified by the perceived harm, including sexual violence against children. Mm-hmm. But Utopia doesn't offer any theories about how our culture changes because of this kind of panic, yep. or comments on the fervent nature of fandom, or examine the anxiety of confronting the potential end of the world. It um, it even abandons the British version's kind of black comedy vibe instead Choosing to crisscross subplots with a very dour tone and quite predictable twists. And um they almost fetishistic in its uh, depiction of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is uh, exploitative and not necessary. Um that is why I'm giving uh Utopia a 3 out of 10.
2: Ooh. I would highly
0: recommend you what to watch the British version of Utopia though. Okay. Uh also available on Amazon Prime. That is an 8 out of 10. Mm. Uh, but the the current one that's out right now, the Julian Flynn version, the US version, 3 out of 10. Uh, avoided at all costs Ooh,
1: okay okay
0: yeah uh next up i'll be talking about antebellum which is a new uh, independent film starring janelle Monet. uh she stars as veronica who is a successful present-day author mm-hmm. who finds herself cornered in a realm of terror that uphand, upends her very reality um she is a modern-day offer keep in mind and one day she wakes up in a cotton plantation uh, dressed in period clothing and at the mercy of safe owner El- Elizabeth, played by Jenna Malone, and um, the confederate soldiers who are, co- who are living there. Um, significantly, nothing of the land surrounding the plantation grounds is shown. Mm-hmm. Um, what sounds at first like a fascinating adaptation of Octavia Butler's kindred uh, instead fumbles when the narrative uh, goes... Uh, ham-fisted into uh, a fully predictable ending uh, without uh, without spoilers. Um, I, I can say that you have seen this before, and you have seen it done better. Um, the twists are almost M. Night Shyamalan-esque uh, in their clumsiness. Okay, uh, I'm talking about like uh, 2005 to 2012 M. Night Shyamalan.
1: Oh okay. It's yeah.
0: it's like that. It's 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 that clumsy. Um <sighs> the sad the sad thing is, you know, they've got a really tour depos for performance at their disposal. Janelle Money really wows in the lead role. There's mm-hmm. a great gravity to her words and, and, uh, and her silence is quite magnetic as well, whether she's talking or not. Likewise, the lead performances all around are great, including Jenna Malone as the villainous slave owner, alongside Kiersey Clemens, who, uh, who blew me away last year in a deserted island monster film called Sweetheart. Um, she is quite commanding and, and as, a, as a fellow plantation captive, Julia. Um, unfortunately, the dialogue is quite badly written. Yeah. Um, if only the filmmakers trusted the actors to convey the messages of the story instead of burdening them with obvious explanatory lines and speeches. Um, Antebellum has a lot to say about race, class, and gender, Um, issues inextricable for for Black women, but the themes are so heavy-handed that they kind of end up being counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Um, Antebellum loads up on visceral scares and disturbing imagery in the surface of a shallow film that feels like a gory theme park ride showcasing the horrors of slavery, you know it ends up reaffirming the very horror it is critiquing. Um, mm. This is especially disappointing given, that the, given the film's technical mastery. Yep. Um, steady, steady Cam and serpentine camera work fuse imagery of the past and the present together seamlessly. You know The directors, Bush and Rentz shoot every scene with the, with the kind of tension and control that suggests the duo might have a very big future. Um, but the script, the script is self-defeating. It's a jumbled mess. Uh, and it is the very kind of uh, slavery horror that is so counterproductive that it almost feels exploitative. Oh. So, um, I'm giving this a 4.5 out of 10.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. I was hoping for more, actually. Same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's kind of sad. Uh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, hoping was... that doesn't put Janelle Monet off of doing more like this, mm-hmm. you know, just because I think, I mean, like, I, I love her music. I think she's an all round amazing performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hopefully, uh, we get something else uh, from her that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but if, if you do want to watch Antebellum, though, it is available on VOD. Uh, next up, I'm shifting from Amazon Prime over to Netflix. Everyone has Netflix, so <laughs> you might have noticed that there is a new Netflix hard sci-fi drama starring Hilary Swank, yeah. it's called Away. Mm. Um, you have seen Away a bit, right?
1: I've seen some of it, most of it, actually. Uh, okay. Like, maybe two-thirds of it.
0: Alright, alright. Um, so, for the premise-wise, Hillary Swank stars as Emma Green. She is an American astronaut who must leave her husband and teenage daughter behind in order to command an international space crew embarking upon a three-year-long mission to Mars. Uh, the astronauts on the mission are an international crew. Uh, and I think the astronauts are pretty fun, actually. Um, the crew it is, they're pretty fun. Yeah. Um, at, at first, they wonder if Commander Green is up to the task, uh, thanks to a freak accident early in the mission. Uh, I don't need to tell you that Emma will have to go about winning her team over one by one. Uh, back home, though, Emma's husband, Matt, is uh, running points at NASA Mission Control and providing emotional support to their teenage daughter, Alexis, who is not happy about her mom's three-year absence. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of where the show falls apart. Um, uh, away is half a good show. <laughs> um it is it is fun and energetic when it's in space. Uh, when it lives up to its title, it's a really good show. Um, it manages to smartly incorporate a crisis-of-the-week approach that is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it is also bogged down by the other half, which is a dull family story about the people left behind. Um, it should have been Apollo 13, but large chunks of it feel like the serious prestige drama film of Ryan Costing's film, um, the, the, the First Man. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the scenes with Commander Green's family are so... Um, irritatingly cliche and tedious so I loved half of it and hated half of it how about you? Uh,
1: exactly my, my kind of thoughts right like everything in the spaceship was really good like all the stories there all the conflict there um, just the actors who, who played the astronauts itself like yeah. I understand that some of the story that feeds into what's going on in the spaceship uh, naturally has to happen on Earth
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but I didn't enjoy any of that right like it was yeah. just so meh like how do we go from this like uh, I okay i understand that we have this whole first time going to mars historical event right um, pushing the boundaries of science and exploration and, and and all of that great and then we we go into high school drama with her daughter yep which is yep. entirely just like it's not even good drama right hmm. You know, and, and that that was so jarring to me that I gave up. I I just couldn't. Like past a certain point, I think I was just like let let your mom get on with her mission so that I can mm-hmm. see more of your mom in space, right? And and like get yourself together, basically. Right. You're not the only girl in the world who's facing you know, a similar thing with, with an absent parent. Yeah. Right. Uh, um yeah. But by and large, like, I really have to say that the kind of chemistry that they got with the actors on board the ship, solid. Mm, really, solid. really solid. The tension, when the tension's there, the tension's good. Mm. When, 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 you know, it's light-hearted and breezy, it's really, really good. You know, a lot of very complicated emotions, a lot of pretty nuanced acting, I have to say. I mean, mm-hmm. not particularly fond of Hilary Swank's performance per se. You know, I feel like the supporting cast did a much better job. My favorite actor is definitely the Russian, the guy who plays the Russian astronaut.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: Uh, you know, and like like you said, it was only enjoyable half the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think like the more we kind of skewed towards the further they got away from Earth, and the more we skewed towards seeing more of Earth, I just got turned off.
0: Uh hundred percent agree. Which is why I'm rating this a five out of ten. It's half a show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five is five is reasonable for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not gonna fail it because the parts that work work quite well and help had me entertained by But the parts that don't work, eh. uh, which is to say that you know if you do watch it, I I would I won't recommend it. But if you do watch it, there are some merits to to a whale. Uh, yeah. but I I don't think this is something that you have, you're gonna be invested in or hooked for the long term. You know,
1: it it feels like a, I mean, it, it there there seems to be a very few kind of like space uh, related like near future space movies like that or series like that at the moment so if you really need your binge sure right yeah you need your fix but it's not great yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean the only way the show can fix this is if let's like a comet hits earth and then everyone dies and then they just focus on the away team that would be great yeah that... um, <laughs> But, but, you know, uh, anyways, moving on, uh, I'm going to be talking about Knots and Crosses, uh, which is a BBC show. Um, It is adapted from Marjorie Blackman's young adult novel series. Uh, Knots and Crosses imagines a world where Europe was colonized by Africans 700 years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, with white people being enslaved uh, for centuries. Um, It is Um, Set in present-day London, known as Albion in the show, Mm -hmm. Uh, slavery is an institution of the past, but the Jim Crow-esque segregation laws maintain a power dynamic. Uh, There is a ruling class of black crosses uh, who control the country's politics, wealth, and culture uh, over an oppressed, impoverished underclass of white people called knots who are on the brink of revolution uh against this backdrop of prejudice and distrust and rebellion the story it is uh, let me remind you it's based on a ya novel mm-hmm. uh the story f- is focused on two star-crossed young adults uh named callum uh and Sephi, uh who are divided by their skin color uh they're obviously in love uh as you know it's a ya novel um, <laughs> So um, our perspective on this alternate universe is that of uh, Callum who is, uh, who is a knot, uh, and Sephi uh, who is a cross uh, but uh, she's not only a cross she is the daughter of the Home Secretary uh, Kamal Hadley mm-hmm. uh, a particularly privileged cross so um, Callum and Sephi were childhood playmates in, in, in the house uh, where Callum's mother was employed as a servant yep. uh, when Callum is roped in to help serve drinks at a birthday party for Mrs. Hadley uh, they meet... Uh, Uh, as young adults, and rekindle their affection. Uh, So, this uh, love story across racial lines is a a dangerous one. Uh, However, it's further complicated by the involvement of Callum's family in a not uh, paramilitary group, uh, essentially a terrorist organisation determined to overturn the power structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a deviation from the books, the characters have been aged up about five years, uh, making Callum and Safi full participants in Albion society with mm-hmm. all its racisms, uh, that is insidious and overt. Um, so I think that's that's kind of a smart decision. Right? They're not just. Um, their story isn't in the background. The story yep. is intertwined with the politics as well. Um, a small example, you know, that 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 gets brought up in classrooms everywhere, especially in Britain, uh, focuses on. Um, in the first episode, Callum uh, getting a flesh-colored plaster that doesn't match his kin- his skin tone. Mm-hmm. It's a black plaster. Um, so it's uh, an interesting way to showcase, you know, just the, the little things la, that, that you don't think about that uh, that the dominant culture imposes upon the the less dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in contrast, Safi has an exciting array of higher education op- uh, opportunities, whereas Callum's best option is to enroll in the elite cross-military academy, Mercy Points, even though it means he's uh, alienated from his community, uh, because you know he's joining the military yeah. and, and 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 enduring relentless racist bully- bullying in the academy itself, uh, as and not uh, he's subject to brutal policing, the routine disrespect of uh, you know even little things uh, like white names are constantly mispronounced in the show, mm-hmm. um, which is I mean it's great uh, and and the 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 racial kind of uh, derogatory term in this world is blanker uh, for for white people they're called blankers, you know mm-hmm. it's a substitute for I guess the n word uh, um much of, uh, much of this kind of uh, rings discordant bells with the viewer, you know, which, uh, which is down to the ingenious simplicity of Blackman's premise. Yeah. Um, what distinguishes knots not, and crosses from a counterfactual history series like The Man in High Castle is that it's barely fictionalized at all. You know, mm-hmm. the world is our world. There is the same technology, the same geography, the same system of government, only flipped. Um, in this context, uh, African cultural dominance can feel like a celebration, but it constantly reminds you that if you think this world, you know, if you think that knots and crosses is a dystopia, then our world is a dystopia too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's kind of the simplicity, the, the genius in, in this simplicity. Um, the world building here is quite phenomenal in that it pays attention to not only the architectural identity of a crossroad Albion. You know, the buildings are all African-inspired architecture, but also to, to, as I mentioned, the ways uh, the dominant culture shapes societal norms and mindsets, you know, everything from economic division to uh, pop culture, to the music they listen to, to beauty standards, to to fashion uh, illustrates this, you know, the the not kids, uh, the white kids, they wear wax prints, patterns, and and their their hair is constantly beaded in cornrows. Uh, And and they do all this unknowingly uh, despite them being anti-cross you know it's yeah. just the way it is like. it's just how they dress it's the norm for them you know um and and the world is sharply observed and convincingly built to make a few points very well uh racism is very real mm-hmm. it is systemic and grounded in centuries of geopolitical injustice uh those with power are rarely aware of their privilege uh violent oppression breeds yet more violence but through sefi and kelam 's story it's also the idea, you know, that love and commonality are the only ways out of inequality. Uh, important messages all. However, the slight downside of knots and crosses is that the characters themselves mm-hmm. don't have the complexity to match its world building. Uh... The characters are okay. Like I'm not saying they're badly written, they're just okay. Yep. You know, there's nothing too special about them, there's nothing too deep about them. They, they 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 perform their roles and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the their roles are predefined and their actions are predictable because I know that they're playing types, they're not playing, you know, really fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. Um nevertheless though, you know, it's still a fascinating watch. Um so I'm giving it a seven out of ten.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh this is one of those shows where like just the premise alone is, is good enough to uh, for for you to carry on as you know the world building is so sharp and intuitive. It's it's so great, you know. And I, I kept feeling discomfort throughout watching the watching the show. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out why, because the show was exactly the same as our world. Um and, and I think that's the point. You know, yeah. if 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 I am to believe that this world is a dystopia, then I have to believe that my world is a dystopia too. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Um, next up, I'm moving on to uh, a film that will be released on October first on uh, in Shaw Theatres in Singapore, uh, and you can find it VOD uh, internationally. It's called Pinocchio. Um, it is a new Italian live-action retelling of Pinocchio. Mm. Um, it is a, a beautifully nightmarish vision that stays faithful to Carlo, uh, Collides, I'm sorry, Carlo Collides Dark Fairy Tale. Um, it is uh, written and directed by Matteo Garone, mm-hmm. uh, and it really embraces the grotesqueness and sentimentality of the 1883 story, ensuring that it stands apart from previous adaptation of Pinocchio that might be more familiar to English-language audiences. Like, you, know, mm-hmm. you might have read the English-language adaptation in either fairy tale books or Disney. Um, so the result of this is, is a moving and tender and sumptuous film that is also macabre and, and bizarre. Um, Walt Disney, for example, never had Pinocchio being brutally hanged from a tree Mm. by two swindlers who wanted to rob him. Um, But one of the interesting things about this drama is that Pinocchio, you know, the magical wooden puppet who yearns to be a real boy, gains this authentic humanness by constantly being exploited by suffering and finally being reborn with skin and hair. Mm. And this all happens because, you know, he's disobedient, he's naughty, he's disrespectful of his father's sacrifices, and he's very gullible to bad influences. But to be human is to grow wiser by learning from suffering, out about from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And that is what Pinocchio is about. You know, Pinocchio himself here is is played uh, with a woodified face by a real-life child actor called uh, Federico Ielepi, uh giving the character a, su- a surreal naturalism. You know, It's not CGI, it's not animated. Mm-hmm. It's a child actor in, in, in wooden prosthetics. And his father, creator Geppetto, is played by the, role, uh, by the legendary Roberto Benigni, mm-hmm. uh, so, Roberto Benigni, if you, if you remember, also directed Pinocchio film back in 2002, uh, which wasn't very good, but you know, this one is. Um, it's buoyed by a very rich atmosphere, wonderful slash disturbing prosthetics and makeup, uh, as well as very good practical effects. I think that's the thing. The practical effects here really scared me, uh, you know, in the way that uh, Dark Crystal, for example, back in the day, scared me. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, Pinocchio is a very sweet, but also Baroque parable of parenthood and growing pains that will definitely give you nightmares it's a 7.5 out of 10 as i mentioned it's out in cinemas right now nice uh you can watch it in short theaters really loved it uh for it's an Italian film so be be aware that you got to read subtitles uh speaking of subtitles i'm moving (laughs) on to a film called hashtag alive it is found on netflix Mm -hmm. it is uh, a twitch era live stream gen z take on the zombie apocalypse uh and it's probably the most perfect zombie movie for the coronavirus era Mm -hmm. uh alive is a south korean thriller about how two young kids in seoul cope with a zombie outbreak by staying in lockdown at home playing video games watching tv checking social media for updates and you know just trying to write the virus out um I instantly became self-aware that the lead character's approach to a zombie apocalypse would very likely be similar to mine, <laughs> uh, which makes it very li- relatable. You know? yep. we, all, we all imagine that we will be like Daryl in The Walking Dead, uh, but if the last few months have taught me anything, is that we'll probably be exactly like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just retreat... Um, our main character, Jun Woo, spends portions of his time creating a vlog and, and alive live attempts to articulate the mental toll of a situation like a sudden apocalypse can bring. And with the scenes mostly basing themselves uh, from Jun Wu's apartment, the theme is less about zombies and more about loneliness when you're forced to social distance. Mm-hmm. Um, with its focus on urban isolation and bonding with strangers through technology, I, I was ready to really love Hashtag Alive. But I think, unfortunately, its final act kind of turns into a standard zombie film yeah. when jun Woo is forced to leave his apartment. Uh, plus, the main character of jun Woo is actually pretty underwritten, um, serving more as a symbol mm-hmm. for millennials and Gen Z rather than an actual, actual character. character. Yeah. yeah, so the downsides kind of bogged the film down a bit. So uh, I would give it a just pass. It's a 5.5 out of 10.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay.
0: All right. Uh, next up is Netflix's latest... Uh, video game adaptation, you know, hot of the success of Castlevania comes a new show called Dragon's Dogma. Uh, It's an anime-style adaptation of a video game. Um, Having not played the game myself, I can only say Mm -hmm. that the hero is a fairly generic fantasy protagonist named Ethan. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
0: By the first episode, Ethan, his family and his entire village is massacred by a dragon. Mm -hmm. Subsequently, he's resurrected as a warrior who sets out to reclaim his stolen heart from the dragon. This uh, turns Ethan into an Arisen, which is never really explained in the show, but mostly means that he's an adventuring hero with no heart, and he gets paired up with a quote-unquote pawn, P-A-W-N, who is an immortal sidekick with no emotion or personality of their own. Um, each episode is named after one of the seven daily sins, and then the plot involves someone in this once idyllic seeming fantasy world succumbing to that Uh, to that eponymous sin and either falling prey to a big monster or becoming a monster themselves. Mm. Solid structure. Uh, The thing about the plot and storytelling, though, is that they are more surprisingly good than they are actually good. (laughs) Um, The writing uh, is quite bad. uh, And in case you don't guess the very predictable twist ahead of time, it is painstakingly explained once the twists start to unfold. It is an anime trope that I hate the most, <laughs> the over-explanation <laughs> of a twist. Um, there is also a noticeable issue with female characters who are all either nags or sex objects or sainted motherly figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extremely hard to ignore the caricatures here. Um, the Dragon's Dogma is, is kind of engaging as it unfolds, but it doesn't leave a lasting impact. Um, the, trick, uh, the trick is that its larger story is quite neat, it's quite fun, but it's quite telegraphed as well mm-hmm. and there's not much else about the show that makes it special or unique um so yeah it's it's fun but forgettable uh enemy enemy adaptation of the video game yeah. uh, did you watch did you watch this i
1: gave it two episodes and i dropped it because yeah. i kind of figured out where it was gonna go and uh to hear that i kind of called it ahead of time i'm glad i didn't
0: oh you, def- you definitely called it man yeah. uh this is a I i think this is a 5 out of 10 it, it's fun predictable but it's funny, but predictable, so it's a 5 out of 10. Yeah, and
1: there's plenty of good anime to watch, so... Mm.
0: I know, I know. If you haven't seen Castlevania, I would suggest you watch Castlevania instead.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: next up, you know, I'm down to the last couple. I'm going to be talking about The Secret Garden, which is a new fantasy British film based on a 1911 novel of the same name by Frances Hodgson, uh, Hodgson Burnett, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is set in England during 1947. The Secret Garden follows a young, orphan girl who, after being sent to live with her uncle, discovers a magical garden on the grounds of his estate. Uh, Burnett's 1911 novel never shied away from the rough stuff. Like most of her work, uh, the book is concerned with orphans and illness, and it used uh, real-world pains to make its magical pleasures richer. Mm -hmm. So yes, magic is there, but magic isn't really the point. Um, The story's latest big-screen adaptation tries to stretch that magical concept to strange ends, and not all of them benefit the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is vested in the idea that The Secret Garden could use a little more imaginative freshening. It wants to make magic the primary theme, not the not the underlying theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, it never quite coalesces, uh, resulting in a film that tilts uneasily between gothic drama and childish magic without ever really succeeding with either tone. Like The Garden at its heart, The Secret Garden found its beauty in its quietude. You know, I'm talking about the book here. It, found, yep. it finds beauty in quietude and, and uh, a small story of hearts broken and healed through nature, attentive care, and, and true connection with others. But this adaptation doesn't quite understand that. Instead, it drowns the film in showy set pieces and magical realism rather than understanding the inherent magic in all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in lieu of plumbing the emotional states of the characters, the film resorts to. Whimsical, otherworldly fantasy elements as an easy resolution. Um, so I'm failing this one. This is a two out of 10 for me.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, last one I'll be talking about is the latest season of Winona Up. Um, I'm a big fan of Winona Up. I've talked about Winona Up a lot over the last uh about over the course of journal uh, Equality, Actually, mm-hmm. it's actually been on a two year break uh, due to a budget dispute between the showrunners and the Sci Fi Network. The thing is, the Sci Fi Network actually signed on for this season ages ago. They had to fulfill it la. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they just didn't have the money to 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 produce it. So it went on hold for two years. Okay but it's finally back. The fan-favorite Western horror series is finally back for a fourth season. Uh, it picks up immediately after the third season's cliffhanger. Uh, and to the show's credit, like it feels like no time has passed at all. Uh, the series is uh, as fun and accessible as always with plenty of great action sequences alongside its uh, wry and quippy Buffy-esque sense of humour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vampire Doc holiday sets out to rescue Wynonna's half-sister who's also an angel, uh, Waverly, who was trapped in an alternate dimension at the end of season 3 uh, and bring her back to the real world. Meanwhile, her town, the small western town of Purgatory, uh, Winona continues to deal with her family curse. Uh, and she's now without her trusty and mythical revolver, Peacemaker, uh, since the herb curse was listed last season, as she and Waverly, uh, Waverly's long-term girlfriend, uh, Nicole, investigate the latest supernatural threats that have arisen to menace the town. Um, as always, despite you know, the high stakes, Winona up 's sly wit permeates enabling the show to maintain a sense of self-awareness and poke fun at any perceived self-importance and common genre tropes, much in the same way that Legends of Tomorrow does. Mm -hmm. Um, This is buoyed by always entertaining main cast, now four seasons into their working relationship, playing off each other with relative ease and natural chemistry. Uh, For fans like me that campaign for the show's renewal, there's plenty to celebrate here. However, it must be said that the show's sense of humour tends to distract from the stakes quite a bit. Hmm. But constant references can become overbearing at times. Uh, It it wasn't a problem in previous seasons, but it's become a bit like Deadpool 2 here. Mm -hmm. So I wish they'd kind of tone it down sometimes to let the drama resonate, rather than just poke fun at everything. Oh, look, this reminds me of that genre trope, and this reminds me of that genre trope. Yes, I get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, just tone it down a bit. And this season, while strong overall, does have a larger share of weak episodes, which is compounded by the reduced budget, so it makes it look like an even cheaper 1990s show. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm only giving this a 6 out of 10.
1: Okay, okay. It, it just seems like for this this month's Quick Hits, there's a lot of like promising, but... <laughs> Disappointing. Yeah,
0: middle of the range episode. Um, uh, middle of the range shows and, and films. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I will, I will say that the the boys is probably the, the best show that I, I I've watched this month mm. Mm. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Uh. Speaking of uh, other things on on Netflix, you have uh your mini quick hits right now. Uh, we'll be talking about an anime that recently debuted on Netflix called The Great Pretender. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So uh, Great Pretender popped up. Uh. Well, just slightly or oh, slightly a couple of weeks ago, right? And we follow a uh, our protagonist, a small time Japanese confidence trickster who aspires to greater things. Uh he what's his name? Makoto. Uh fondly called Adamami by his eventual uh colleagues. He is um hoping to find a good job to pay his ills uh his ill mother's medical bills, you know, and uh, we get that in a, kind of a flashback. He ends okay. up falling into fraud uh, in the course of that and eventually his mother passes away, um, bringing him into fully into the world of, of, of being a con man. Uh, he eventually meets an American man who cons him instead uh, yeah. and it ends up with him traveling to LA uh, yeah. to perform part of the crew there. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I mean, in essence, uh, it's a, it's, it's a crime anime. Uh, you know the whole con man thing that we've seen kind of fairly frequently. You uh, Son of a bitch, I'm in. Yes. So yeah. basically, <laughs> it, it, yeah, pretty much, yeah. pretty much, right. Um. So, uh, he he ends up in Los Angeles, uh, and uh, in attempt to kind of defend his self-proclaimed like Japan's greatest swindler, he he makes a bet. Oh, uh, okay. with his new partner slash rival slash boss. And uh, that's kind of where it starts. So there are three main arcs in in the anime itself, right? Um, There's one that takes place in Hollywood. Uh, The second one, which I'll go to a bit more just because that is called Singapore Skies and it's fascinating just because, you know, uh, we we yet again get another anime that takes a look at the Singapore kind of like cityscape uh, in a very interesting way. Uh, And the last one is called London Snow, which I think is the strongest out of the three um okay. the three arcs which i think is a bit closer to the kind of like con man shows that i like like matchstick man and, and so on and so forth yeah. uh whereas the rest are a bit more like oceans at, at at it's kind of like most popular right right yeah so um basically the three arcs um okay the first arc um fairly easy they're trying to con a uh, mafia boss slash Hollywood producer uh, mm-hmm. into buying the latest, greatest designer drug from uh, Japan, right? And uh, it it it's a great kind of like uh, it's a great kind of way for us to get to know the characters and what they're likes and their quirks. And there's a fair bit of quirks going on, and uh, the team that they've assembled is fairly interesting in terms of the way they kind of cooperate with each other. They're all lone wolves, but they're coming together just because there's money to be made or there's some Mm -hmm. sort of like personal vendetta involved uh, with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, that kind of all plays out and it eventually ends up uh, with... uh, I don't think it's too big a spoiler. I'm just going to dive into it. It eventually ends up with Makoto going back to Japan to Mm -hmm. repay all the people he's conned uh, with yep. the money that he's earned from this first time, uh, from mm. this first, um, uh, they call it a case. It's not really a case, you know, um, but sure. Yep. Uh, which sees him end up going into jail, uh, from which he is released eventually, just to be sucked back in into the next case, which is called Singapore Skies, and it is about uh competitive, uh, plane racing slash dog fighting, pretty much right uh so you know uh you have all these stunt planes and all these pilots and there are all these set courses that um they go around the world much like f1 but planes right basically that's the premise of the story um the entire arc is set in singapore right in particular in our marina bay area so you have these amazing scenes of gorgeously rendered and fairly true to life Mm. um Architecturally and and just like in terms of the space and how they capture everything, so you have that whole scene there, and most of the uh, most of the art takes place there, uh, and you have like these planes just zooming in and out of the buildings, and you know there's a scene with uh, them on on the on the giant Ferris wheel, uh, Singapore Flyer, uh, you know, and it's so interesting just to see what um, an artist. or or a studio's depiction of of your country is like. And we've Mm. gotten a fair number of that over the years. You know, uh, I think A Place Beyond the Universe had one, Mm. uh, which was incredibly detailed and and showcased, like, a lot of corners of Singapore that people started to recognize. And a ton of other things, like Singapore is fairly popular. But to have the entire story take place here uh, Mm. was kind of refreshing. I think, like, it's the first time that we've had something so meaty. Uh, and uh, although it never kind of like discusses um, Singapore in the story itself, right? It could be anywhere else in the world like the story right. takes place uh, it's it's fairly fun uh, just to see it play out that way, right? Uh, the animation all in all is very detailed, very colourful, very bright and very dynamic um, the voice acting for the most part when it is, it's in Japanese is fantastic uh, the English dub is not bad but whenever you're listening to the Japanese audio and they're trying to speak English, it is horrendously bad. Oh wow! Uh, like bad enough for me to like want to put it on mute. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and annoying about. And the problem with that is, is especially in the first couple of episodes, uh, there is a uh, before the magic universal translator gets turned on, mm-hmm. there is a lot of uh, uh, of that right uh, yeah. of our main character trying to speak in English, and it's 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 indecipherable uh, yeah. at all. So if you can kind of like cringe through that, like I, I think uh, overall, um, the quality of the animation is great. Uh, the art style is great. The music is amazing because it's littered with like a lot of these like jazz step, acid jazz kind of beats going along. Like it's mm. good stuff uh, on that end. Like it's everything that you kind of want from a, a series of this genre, right? Um, mm. And, I mean, I would say, like, it takes a lot from, you know, your you know, New Harvest and, and your, your uh, Samurai Champloo and your Cowboy Bebop and all of that. Yeah. And it kind of, of carries on that tradition of really, really good beats um, yeah. set to this very, well, uh, pretty run-of-the-mill uh, mm. con man story. Yeah. Uh, but it, it just adds to kind of the enjoyment, right? There are no major kind of twists or turns. Uh, there's nothing groundbreaking in terms of its story. Uh, but altogether, a very well put together series, I think. Uh, okay. What I I highly encourage you to watch it for the animation and mm. the music and the fact that you know, especially if you're living in Singapore, it's a very interesting, interesting uh, kind of perspective on on what our cityscape is like.
0: Yeah. Um. How would, you, how would you rate it overall?
1: I think over, it. It's pretty good. I'm gonna give it a six point five. Like I enjoyed okay. it, and it's a fairly breezy watch. I think as we go into the third act, uh, London Snow, that's kind of where the the meat and potatoes of the conman genre really get fleshed out, uh, right. more than anything else. And uh, like, I foresee this. I mean, like, it seems to be doing pretty well on mm. Netflix itself. So I foresee them having more. Uh, seasons to come and it might get stronger from here. We'll, we'll see. Nice. Yeah, so it's a 6.5 uh, for me.
0: Also on Netflix is a new children's animated show based on the Jurassic Park <laughs> franchise. It's called Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Uh, you managed to catch this with your nephew?
1: I, I got a couple. Yeah, I yeah. got a couple. Um, With them... I, okay, so the thing is is that I was thinking sure, dinosaurs, kids, right? Mm-hmm. Pixar, sure. Let's do this. Right. Uh, it's 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 not bad. Okay. But it is incredibly scary for something that's tailored to kids.
0: Right, right. It's about the six teenagers who've been invited to the to the inaugural inaugural week of Camp Cretaceous yeah. at Jurassic World. Uh as we all know, whenever people arrive at you know Jurassic theme parks, uh, <laughs> shit hits the fan and dinosaurs run loose again. Uh the kids are forced to work together, but it's complicated by the fact that one of them might be a spy. Dun dun dun. Uh yeah. So um you you were saying?
1: Yeah. So uh it's not fun and games, right? And I think right, right. I'm a little... Uh, I, I come away a bit confused as to what the target audience for this particular series is. It's quite, quite violent, right? Yeah. it's it. The kids are constantly in mortal danger. Constantly, yeah. right? There are parts in it that are like... There were certain scares that got me, you know? Mm. Um, And I'm I'm so curious because, like, on the one hand, we get these teens who are going there. Like, no grand insight into, like, the 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 social life of teens right here, you know, um more or less like the characters aren't the, the characters start off as very stock and they end off as even more stock mm-hmm. uh characters. Like there's there is some character growth, uh some character arcs, but I mean it's kind of minimal, right? Uh, so the question is like I don't think anybody below the age of 10 would be watching this just because mm. of how scary it is, right? Like it's pretty intense at certain points in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of... Uh, well, people getting eaten, basically, right? There's no on-screen goal. Um, yeah, there's no blood or anything. There's yeah. no blood or anything. But um, these kids, these teens, right? Uh, or tweens, uh, face death at an alarmingly high mm-hmm. rate. Uh, mm-hmm. And their responses to it don't mm-hmm. quite match that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. there are some quips about, like, dead bodies lying in a car that really... I just, like, really? Mm-hmm. You know, and this is from like the wimpy kid in the group, right? Who right, is like right. sanitizing his ass like all the time, mm-hmm. right? And he makes a quip about dead bodies in the car, and I'm just like, "Are you serious?" Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: ooh, there's an opportunity there to write something really good, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but we get kind of none of that, you know. Yeah. Um. That being said, I feel that the animation for the dinosaurs is amazing.
0: Mm, but on the flip side for the humans.
1: Oh man. Like they might as well be mannequins. Like I yeah. don't know if, if it's a budget thing or anything like but I just want a bit more detail. You mm. know, the, the 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 character designs are so plain mm. and the characters themselves are so plain. Right. There were points in time, and pardon me for saying this, there were points in time that I just wanted the kids to get eaten so they we could see like the dinosaurs like take over. Right, like yeah, it really, yeah, really yeah, felt it, that way. Make it primal, right? Yeah, just like exactly, exactly, yeah. right. Because I feel like um the dinosaurs are the star of the show, but they yeah. didn't get as much screen time as they ought to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were just like there's plenty of plot armor all over the place, sure, right? Um, yeah. So again, it's it's one of those things, and I I believe we we said the exact same thing when we reviewed um, Fallen Kingdom was mm. that the last one yeah exactly in follow kingdom right great show without the humans <laughs> you know yep, yep, uh, and yep. we've got exactly the same kind of story here mm-hmm. yeah so i mean like you you caught you caught this as well yeah
0: yeah i mean it's it's okay it's uh, a, a bit confused as as you are about who who this is for yep. um it's very violent but bloodless violence mm. um characters are very um, literally and metaphorically, very uh, shoddily drawn. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of writing and in terms of animation, it's quite bad. Um, I don't know, man. Um, I thought it was fun for what it was. Yeah. Nothing, nothing really special about it. Uh, it, it ties into Jurassic World uh, quite nicely. Mm, uh, yes. I like, I like the, I like the canon of it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But otherwise, I think. You could you could uh give or take this. Uh, this is not not uh, essential viewing. Yeah, it's
1: not. Uh, I mean, I I just feel like with the quality that we got from the dinosaurs, like the yeah. dinosaurs have better story arcs than the kids. Yeah. Right. The Carnotaur yeah. has a better story arc than our lead character kid, and it's so sad. Yeah. Um, that way, you know. Um, and I just feel like if they had been a bit more bold with this, uh, it could have been great. Right, like the idea of kids living alone, uh, I mean, like struggling to survive in in a in a Jurassic World gone man. It could have been mm-hmm. great. I mean, Lord of the Flies meets like Jurassic World. Damn, I'll mm-hmm. be down with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they never quite push it that far, you know. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a miss for me. How uh, how you rate it? I, I'm gonna give it a four.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was going to get a five, but yeah, I, I can see a four easily.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, just because, like, I, I don't know. It really is very lost. Uh, and I, uh, for what I, I think some kids might enjoy it. I, okay. I feel like if you are old enough to be able to stomach the violence that you see, right, on screen yeah. or off screen, yeah. you wouldn't be interested in the kid's story here. Mm. or be interested in the, you might be old enough where you're actually growing out of being interested in dinosaurs in general. So, you know, where does that leave this? Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, similar feelings here. Mm. Uh, yeah. We're gonna, we're reaching towards the end of our episode and I want to take some time to talk about Haikyuu, uh, which mm-hmm. is back this month for the second half of Season 4. <laughs> um, I'm late to the party on this one. Fully admit, I'm late to the party on this one. Uh, but Volleyball, Anime Q, uh, spent the last few months binging it. Um, and first and foremost, I, I do want to say I've always considered... Uh, Yuri on Ice to be the greatest sports enemy ever made yep. uh, with one perfect season. Um, however, the more <laughs> I watch of Haikyuu, the more I'm reconsidering that opinion. Um, and this isn't just one of the best sports enemy I've ever seen. It's one of the best Enemy, I've ever seen, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. period. You know, um, first, some background on the show um, Haikyuu is based on a popular manga, yep. uh, which just ended its run a couple of months ago, actually. Yes. Uh, And it's produced by Powerhouse Studio Production IG. Uh, It follows the story of Shoyo Hinata, uh, a boy determined to become a great volleyball player despite his small stature. He's very unskilled. Uh, There's no boys on the volleyball team in his junior high, so he's self-taught, basically. Uh, And very short, especially for a spiker. Mm. But he is freakishly quick and athletic. Uh, In junior high, he becomes rivals with Tobio Kageyama, a genius setter and playmaker who's not just great at the school level, uh, but uh, professionals think that it's only a matter of time before he makes the national team. Uh, Kageyama humiliates him in a tournament, uh, humiliates Hinata, that is, at at a junior high tournament, and that is the sole reason uh, for Hinata's desire to defeat Kageyama. Mm. So once he graduates, he joins Karasuno High uh, because of its high school volleyball program, a respected one, although on a downturn. He... He, the reason he fell in love with volleyball is because he once saw a Karasuno High game on TV. Mm-hmm. He hopes to train there and beat Kageyama someday. On his very first day, <laughs> he discovers that Kageyama has joined Karasuno too. So, beginning of the show essentially about these two hated <laughs> rivals learning to become teammates. Yeah. Um, story-wise, Haikyuu boasts one of the clearest examples of a simple story brought to its best. Karasuno was once a powerhouse, mm-hmm. but it's now considered weak. They're they they attempting to rise back to their previous status and win the National Volleyball Tournament. And just maybe their two talented freshmen, can, if they can get along, yeah. they can be great again, um, to reach the National Tournament A team must first win the qualifying prefecture tournament, which happens twice a year. Even within their own prefecture, there are a number of powerhouse schools that they need to overcome. And beyond that, the standard of the schools at the nationals is higher, obviously. Um, I won't go much into Hinata and Kageyama's backstories, Mm -hmm. but they form a really great dynamic, which reminds me uh, of the one between, I guess, kind of Aang and Zuko in in the last (laughs) event. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And and this is one of the highest compliments I'm able to give uh, to any animated show uh, mm-hmm. when I compare it to th- The Last Airbender. Um, the show is insanely fast-paced, it's very consistent, uh, and it never ceases to amaze me how they're able to raise tension and excitement for every tournament and for every game. Yep. Um, character-wise, I adore every single character in Hi-Q. and And by Season 4, there are 40 to 50 characters by the time we reach... Uh, season 4 mm-hmm. because it's, it's not just Hinata and Kageyama and their teammates we get to know also all the players from all the opposing teams mm-hmm. they're also humanized and characterized and fleshed out and as much as, uh, as much as any of the main characters are but antagonists are not evil yep. just another, just another group of people trying to do the same thing and working just as hard I feel the desperation and determination of both sides to win every match. Although I should be rooting for Karosuno, it's hard. <laughs> both sides are easy to root for. Yep. Um, and it, it makes me love every single character in the show. Each character feels like the protagonist of his of his or her own story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Creates uh, complex character dynamics and relationships, as well as great individual stories. And I have to say, the character building in the show, and the characters in general, flawless... Um animation wise, the show is phenomenal. Yep. Um from the reactions that I've seen from professional players who watch the show, the plays, the strategies, the tactics are all fairly accurate. Uh, it's just a little exaggerated for dramatic purposes, <laughs> obviously. But it's not an all and out fantasy like Kuroko's yep. basketball is, yep, you know. Yep. Um, it's fairly grounded in real world principles. So everything animated is based on reality but drawn to accentuate the athleticism Mm -hmm. and the drama. The volleyball sequences are phenomenal and they keep getting more and more exciting the further we get. The the animation does a fantastic job of conveying how the players must feel and the people invested in the game as well. The dynamic movements in the matches feel... uh, are incredible to watch, especially the, you know, the, the slowdowns and the slow mo's, which uh, suggest the impact of a scene yep. or events. Uh, amazing, it makes it very enjoyable. Uh, they cut to hand drawn moments as well uh, as some c- uh, cruelly animated por- uh, portions to portray the tension <laughs> at that point. Um, the animation does exactly what it needs to. The voice acting and the soundtrack for the show is also very mm-hmm. well done. Mm-hmm. It plays into the mood and the atmosphere of the show, and and there's nothing I can say against it. It's it's one of the most mind-blowingly perfect enemies I've ever seen. Uh, and I was watching this prior to the era of uh, sports coming back. You know, the EPL is back, the NBA is back, you know, and stuff like that. At a certain point, you know, March, April, May, they weren't around, mm. and and I have to say that as a sports enemy, this really. Uh, fix, uh, this really fixed my craving for live sports. I've never been on the edge of my. I I don't get on the edge of my seats for sports anime. <laughs> I do it, I do it for real sports. But the level of tension, my investment in the team, how how dramatically the the matches play out. Um, you know, there's several moments I just stand up cheering for my team like they're fucking real people. Uh. Really, you know, it's such a perfect enemy, man. Um, have you been watching High Q as well? Now that it's on Netflix, uh,
1: I mean, like I I followed High uh, Q very consistently for the first two seasons, mm. and then I only caught up uh, with the third season once it got onto Netflix. Mm. Uh, so I love High Q as well, uh, just as much as you do. And I've, I've been, I mean, ever since um, we put this on on the list of things to talk about, right? And yep. in uh, anticipating season four, mm-hmm. uh. I was trying to figure out what, what it is about Haikyuu that sets it apart from the slew of really good sports animes that we've been getting uh in the last couple of years, right? Like you like you've mentioned Yuri Gun Ice, Goroko's basketball, uh Hane Bado yeah as well. And I was trying to figure out like what makes it stand out, like head and shoulders above the word, arrest. And I think like it boils down to kind of two things. Mm-hmm. Uh the the relationship between our two main kind of protagonists, right? Uh is something that is, is very difficult to kind of boil down and to have that embedded within a huge ensemble of characters who are all very well-written, well-thought-out and very human is rare, you know. uh, yeah. Couple that with the fact that the technicality of the animation is on yeah. par with Hanebado, if not better at times, just because it's more complex than a badminton match, mm. uh, is makes it great, right? And the emotional stakes are as as high as it gets. Uh, or e- I think the emotional stakes are even higher than what we get on Yuri on Ice. Yeah. You know? And um, like for me, for the longest time, I think it was always going to be, it was Yuri on Ice and then Hanebado. But those are very, uh, those are sports that aren't big team sports, right? They aren't mm-hmm. team sports in the way that volleyball or basketball is a team sport. So yeah. just to have all this, like the realism of it, yeah. where the characters feel substantial and the sports feel substantial at the same time, right? It's, it's just like, uh, I mean, like, in any kind of media, much less anime, right? Uh, it just feels so good, you know, all the time. And it brings all the joy and the ups and downs and the exhilaration of watching sport into, uh, in, into anime, right? And it does it so, so well, you know? It's like, yeah, it's it's the equivalent of watching like Friday Night Lights, uh, Friday, light, night, night, night light, lights, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, with all the good stuff of of watching like a proper game, at any yeah. point in time. And I mean, like you've sung, you've sung the high praises of Haikyuu. I'm really mm-hmm. interested to see the last season because I haven't watched it yet. Uh, Yeah. um, yeah.
0: this is actually not the last season it's the second half of season 4 I think they will, they still have plenty of ground to cover for the manga, so I think they should have at least enough material for 2 or 3 more seasons
1: right Uh, yes, 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 pardon me Uh, yeah, it is not the last season yet, just double checking, okay yeah, so I mean like looking forward to that because I haven't caught up uh, Mm -hmm. with all of that, despite the fact it's been out for a while uh, on other platforms. Uh, but of course, Netflix just makes it so incredibly easy.
0: Much easier, yeah. I, I do have to say that if you want to watch it, I would probably recommend other platforms because Netflix does their own subtitles for shows. Yeah. And their Japanese translators are not great, though, I don't have to say. Uh,
1: it really depends on the show itself. I do realise, like, recently, I've been rewatching some of the, uh, some of the older titles that I, I used to enjoy quite a fair bit. Um, mm. Yeah, the, it's not, Great, uh, which yeah. is interesting because, like, when I was watching a lot of the shows currently, take for example, uh, I've recently been watching like Overlord, mm. uh, and I noticed some discrepancies from certain lines that I really liked in the original, uh, yeah. and it, it felt like it did not quite translate as well on Netflix. The mm-hmm. thing is, is though, when I was watching it as it was airing, it's all fan subs, right? Yeah, and the fan subs yeah. seem to be better, you know, uh, and it's it's felt that way so. Um, you can watch on Crunchyroll. Yeah. Uh, you can watch on Crunchyroll and and all your favorite kind of anime streaming sites as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Netflix is incredibly convenient. Uh, if mm-hmm. you don't mind the subtitling.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, I I think where Haikyuu sets apart from Yu- Yuri and Ice, for example, I feel like Yuri and Ice is more of a character driven piece about uh, love. Yeah. Uh, whereas Haikyuu is a more purely sports uh show. Yeah. Uh, it's it's I mean the, the characters are really well drawn but it's purely about sports is it not the characters talk about volleyball for <laughs> yeah. they have no love interest we don't know anything about anybody's yeah. family yep, yep. all they talk yep. about is volleyball how to get better at volleyball and <laughs> part of, and and that's what I kind of like when I watch sports yep. because I don't care about the gossip I don't care who like you know uh who this NBA player married or what the family dynamic is like I yeah. care about their skills and what they're doing to improve and this is pure sports you know <laughs> you know yeah. like like, more, like season uh, 3 uh, the entirety of season 3 was one game uh, it was incredible uh, it was the finals uh, I should have been the entire season <laughs> now, but you know yeah. Uh, yeah it's it's pure sports yeah. like it's not it's not you. that's what differentiates it from you and Isaac mm, you know, so yeah, uh, sure. different different strokes. Yeah. yeah. Uh the final segment of uh this month's genre Equality is uh the pool list. Uh, this is a segment where uh either myself or Isa would uh, recommend things that we have read recently, uh literature, either from comics or or novels, uh yeah, um, and this month, I'm going to be talking about two titles. Firstly, I'm going to be talking about an indie comic called Bitch Planet. Uh, sometime back, I was going through my cupboard mm-hmm. uh, of my old indie comics uh, for an article that I was planning to write um, on Potwire, and I rediscovered my love for Bitch Planet, which I consider to be the best uh, indie comic of the past decade. Uh, mm. Yes, I would rate it slightly above Saga. Um, <laughs> This comic first launched in 2015. It was created by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentine Mm DeLandro. It is set in the near future. This story posits a universe where troublesome women are marked as non-compliant and shipped off into a space prison called the Auxiliary Compliance Outpost, more colloquially known as Bitch Planet. Um... It doesn't take much to become non- non-compliant. Uh, maybe some women have committed murder, then yeah, okay, they deserve to be uh, in prison. But maybe you're just fat. Uh, so the, the definition of non-compliance is very undefined and loose. Uh, being seen as non-compliant is something that women aren't in control of. It's just a system for men to get rid of troublesome women. Mm-hmm. Um, the prison itself is, is kind of one part Black Mirror and, and one part, Orange is the New Black, uh, you know, um, incarcerated women are, are stripped naked and greeted by a holographic corseted nun called the Catholic before they are given uniforms. There are also um, holographic rooms with pornography and crying babies where they're sometimes forced to compete in, in a brutal blood sport. Uh, that's like MMA meets rugby. Um, the sport is called Megaton. Uh, and it kind of becomes the most popular sporting event on Earth, So they're watching these prisoners play this blood sport called Megaton. Um, so Bitch Planet is kind of like the patriarchy on steroids, mm-hmm. and and outside of the sci-fi aspect, it's far from unrealistic because there have been. Plenty of cultures and countries throughout human history that have employed systems such as this to control non-compliant women. Uh, And in our reality, uh, most of the inmates uh, are women of colour, as is in this reality. uh, Slowly we come to realise that all of this insanity is happening because Earth has fallen under the power of an authoritarian group known as the Council of Fathers Mm -hmm. who rule with an iron fist but pretend to be kindly priest-like elders, uh, like Orange is the New Black, Bitch Planet has a large cast of characters whose life stories we learn in flashback form. Um, All of their stories are violent and emotionally engaging, and by the end of it all, readers, I guess uh, women and and men alike, uh, will will come to see the term non-compliance as a badge of honour rather than a humiliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's most striking about the comic is the artwork, which looks like pop-up art that you see on those old 60s and 70s uh, exploitation or black exploitation uh, comics slash movies. Um, you know, like Grindhouse-style artwork. Um, it evokes the era of, uh, you know, those Grindhouse films It's yeah. loud and brash and cheesy. It pops with neon pinks and greens. Uh, when combined with its politically sharp storytelling, uh, Bitch Bennett does a lot to subversive subversif- Reclaim the genre for uh, victims of those earlier films, uh, which are women and are minorities you know uh, mm-hmm. women and minorities, as the genre implies, are exploited by that genre uh, in this case you know they're celebrated um, with its deliberately shocking name and over the top imagery and, and and scantily clad women fighting in prison. Um, the conic and the landro actually managed to tell a surprisingly subtle story about the dangers of political conformity, through uh, black exploitation slash exploitation genre. Mm. Um, make no mistake, *Bitch Planet* isn't for everyone. It has nudity, it has strong violence, it's offensive in ways that I've I never imagined, which is saying something. Um, <laughs> and Le, and Delandro aren't shy about killing off characters that you like and rubbing your face in cruelty, and yet it's also hilarious and funny. It's a gripping and action packed and and weirdly emotionally re- realistic. It is uh, the perfect story. For a period in history, when when our real life news headlines are full of violence and sports, yeah. uh, politics and sens- sensationalism, uh, which is why Bitch comic uh, still, um, although it's only five years old, still stands the test of time. Uh, next up uh, and finally, I'll be talking about banned book club. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not clear from the title, the graphic novel revolves around a group of young people who meet who meet uh, to read and discuss books banned by the government. Um, it's set in South Korea. In the early nineteen eighties, not far removed from the Korean War, mm-hmm. and, and unlike the weight, uh, uh, sorry, and under the weight of uh, a military regime uh, that used uh, censorship and violence to maintain control, a group of students gather in secret to read uh, titles like uh, "Pedagogy" and 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 "The Oppressed and the Feminine Mystique." Mm-hmm. Uh, at the center of the story is Kim, uh, a young woman caught between the needs of her parents uh, and their small restaurant, which is going under. And her desire for more education and opportunity, um, this is actually uh, an autobiography. It's a memoir of his offer. So, this is non-fiction, actually. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, the, the lead character slash, you know, our offer. she meets and befriends the rest of the students in the titular club. She realizes that not only is there a world beyond what she knows, but... That the government has been lying to her and everyone else without consequence, you know. Several of Kim's friends are targeted by the government and subjected to surveillance, arrests, beatings, or worse. Um, even if you, it were just based on the history of the Fifth Republic and and the abuses methoded out on the Korean people, Ban book club would be a powerful and illuminating read. Mm. What makes the book even more potent is its basis in the real life of writer Kim hyun Suk and her friends. Kim worked with her husband, Ryan Estrada, on the story and script, relying not just on her memory, but also extensive research and interviews. Um, Kim's very real understanding of the dangers and threats in this time period of her country, paired with Estrada's expertise in pacing and comedic beats, have resulted in something quite special, and uh, Ko Hyun-ju's art brings it to vibrant life. Uh, The book has a lot in common with manga and feels Mm -hmm. far closer to that than traditional American comics. It's printed in grayscale. The characters are drawn relatively simply with some features slightly exaggerated. Um, Hyun Suk and her friends are young and enthusiastic and the expressions Hyun Joo depicts show how even in the face of uh, all-too-prevalent danger, they maintain... Uh, idealistic uh, verve and, 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 and bravery it's, it's hard not to feel energized and encouraged by the book's insistence that the world must bend towards justice mm-hmm. uh, and it ends on a realistic but hopeful note by providing context for current South Korean politics uh, and, and of course you know, you know free media free speech free reading uh, it's all all these things are, are, are virtues that are, are, are celebrated and championed in a banned book club uh, as they should be mm-hmm. uh, and those are are my two reading recommendations this month. Uh, let's give you a little preview for what we'll be talking about next month. Yeah, next month is <laughs> jam packed uh edition. Um, it is Halloween month, of course, so uh, there's a lot of uh, horror inspired uh titles out there, but our main topics are going to be Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, uh, man, one of the the most natural successor to Watchmen on HBO I think in terms of theme mm-hmm. and in terms of its uh, deconstruction of genre we'll be talking about that we'll be talking about Mike Flanagan's follow up to The Haunting of Hill House called The Haunting of Bly Manor uh, which debuts on Netflix on uh, in early October we'll be talking about Primal the return of Gandhi Tartowski's, uh latest animated show mm-hmm. which has no dialogue about the friendship between a caveman and a dinosaur <laughs> and how they fight off other dinosaurs it's pretty cool yep. Um Aisla will be talking about Kipo and the Age of Wonderbees, which returns for Season 3. Uh, another show returning for Season 3 is a spy thriller for kids, Carmen San Diego. Yep. Uh, Where in the World Is She? She will be on Netflix next month as well. Um, otherwise, you know, um, Hellstrom, which is Marvel TV's final and last production. Finally going to get aired ad on Hulu. Doesn't look good, but I'll talk about it anyway. <laughs> um, and we're talking about Welcome to Blumhouse, which is an anthology of four films horror films uh, it may be hit or miss I haven't seen any mm-hmm. I'll talk about it um, lots of other stuff like, like Monsterland is also another anthology on Hulu um, man there's so many anthologies uh, Love and Monsters uh, South Park is releasing a pandemic uh, special movie on, on on Comedy Central Um yeah, uh, too much to talk about. Death in the Family is something I'm looking forward to a mm. lot. Death in the Family, if you don't remember, was an iconic comic book where Robin was killed off by a fan voting yep. uh, back in the 80s. By a uh, phone voting. <laughs> phone vote, yeah. yeah. People, people called on the phone. to uh, The question was uh, whether Robin should die or not, and the fucking sadistic fans, as we know they can be, chose for Robin to die a horrible, gruesome death at the, of, at the hands of Joker. By
1: a uh, long... By quite a bit, right? It was like seventy percent or something like that.
0: Oh man, landslide. Landslide. Yeah. People hated that Robin. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Death in the Family will be adapted smartly into a choose your own adventure movie where you can choose whether Robin or lives or dies. Uh interesting. I like that. Yeah. I think I think it's clever. Like as a premise for a choose your own adventure, this is this is the this is a story that, that could be done very well. Like you could have a happy ending, you could have the sadistic original ending, whatever you choose. You
1: mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it plays out.
0: It will see how it plays out, man. Uh, yeah, and anything that like stands out to you for for next month? Uh,
1: I I'm very excited to talk about Lovecraft Country for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I feel like there's a lot. I mean, already there's a lot to unpack. But I'm I'm curious where our discussion is going to go once everything is done.
0: Oh man, yes, definitely. Uh, Lovecraft Country is so layered as a bit hard to break it down in 15-20 in to 20 minutes yeah, we'll try our yeah. best. Uh, haunting of men, of course, You know, mm. Mike, we, if you listen to us, you know that we are a big fan of uh, Mike Flanagan. We love Dr. Sleep. Mm. We love the, the Haunting of Hill House. We love Gerald's Game. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the Haunting anthology, I think it's a, it's a great way to continue the franchise without necessarily continuing the story of Hill House. Yep. You know? yep. But just you know, use the same characters la, and tell a different story.
1: Oh, I'm just looking forward to see what the shot is going to be. If we get mm. a dead shot, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure people are gonna be looking out for it. I'm curious to like how how do you keep it up, right? If, especially if you want to do something different. So yeah, looking forward to that.
0: Definitely, man. And until next time, this has been Hit Zero. This is Isa. And yes, you can find us on Mixcloud and on Singapore Community Radio. Goodbye, guys.
1: Ciao.